Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. You may be seated. Hopefully, venue, you're with us as well. Turn to someone near you, smile at them, and say, I am so glad you're here today. Do that, would you? I am so glad you're here today. Turn to someone else and say, get ready. It's going to be good today. Do that, would you? I don't know if that's true or not, but anticipation is everything. So if you have your Bibles this morning, would you take them and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 going to, I think, finalize the series, which has been kind of long and meandering, but it's been fun for me and really enjoyed this concept of the bridge, how Jesus is our bridge into relationship with the Heavenly Father, our bridge into our eternal relationship, our bridge into hope, and our bridge into every area of our life. And we're going to be finishing that up this week as we open God's word. Hey, before we get into the, the message today, um, I, I've been, you know, I, I say, it, say it a lot. I always say, I don't know if I told you or not, but I'm a grandfather, and I have a, I have a, a lady in our office, Jane, who has a, she came up to me this week, and she said, now you say that all the time. Now I want to show you something. So she pulls out her phone, and she shows me a video of her little, I think it's her great-grandbaby. His name is Tate. His name is Tate. Now, I, this is a really short video. But, but So can we pull the lights down just a little bit? I just want to make sure people can see it. And I, I'm going to encourage you for 10 seconds, watch, but watch all the way to the very end of the video. Because here's what happened. Her granddaughter went outside for just a few moments to fill up a little waiting pool for him. She came in. This is what she found. Let's watch it. What did you do? You can't even eat those. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that a great face or what? Oh, I love that video. That face says it all. And I have a new nickname for Tate. It's called Tater Chip. I'm going to call him Tater Chip. Oh my word. I love that little short thing. Doesn't have anything to do with the message. Nothing at all. I just love watching little kids' faces and I just love that whole thing. By the way, she said later, she goes, I, we, we still don't know how I got those tater chips because it was up on a table and it was a bag that was sealed and she said she can't figure out how in the world he got it. But anyway, that's what happens when you're parents, right? We all remember stuff like that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. My buddy Dennis Cook in his, in his book, uh, Pouring Ketchup, wrote these words. In fact, Dennis and I, we communicate now. We, uh, he's the uh, former pastor at Restoration Station. He actually founded that church here locally, now lives in Nashville. Dennis and I communicate probably several times a week, just encouraging each other, praying, just kind of talking about what's going on in life. And I was reading, I was in Starbucks, and I was reading, I was reading his book. In fact, there's actually a picture uh, of the book with a pen on it, and here's what it, here's what it says. What do Billy Graham... Charles Manson, Lady Gaga, the Pope, any number, Elvis, Kirk Franklin, the Beatles, and you have in common. They all have pens. They write not with bicks or ballpoints, but with words, actions, deeds. They and we all daily journal into the other people's lives around us. In reality, everyone has a pen and everyone is an author. We all write into other people's stories by the things we do or we don't do. Now, here's the quote that's actually in your notes. Everyone, every day has the power of the pen. Every day, as a parent and husband, I journal into my wife's and my two daughters' lives 
When I'm in a good mood, I have a pen. When I'm in a bad mood, I have a pen. When I'm healthy, I have a pen. When I'm sick, I have a pen. When I feel like being a Christian, I have a pen. And when I don't feel like being a Christian, I have a pen. Nobody gets a day without the pen. Man, when I read that, I was sitting there, I was sipping coffee, I was spending time with the Lord, and man, it just immediately, I go, man, I'm on Father's Day, that's going to be the message. In fact, I, I text Dennis, I said, hey, Dennis, I'm taking a quote from your book, it's going to be the, kind of the beginning of the message on Father's Day. This whole idea that whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, in fact, dads, if you're here today, can I just tell you, you have influence in your family whether you want it or not. If you say, I don't want influence, there you go, that's your influence. You're going to have an influence. Moms, you're going to have influence, whether you want it or not. In, the, in your co-workers' lives, in your church, in your community, if your grandmas and grandpas, in your neighborhood, doesn't matter. Whether you want it or not, you were always writing and journaling into the people's lives around you. When, you. when you feel like you're a grump, you're journaling. When you're happy and joyful, you're, you're journaling. And it's amazing that picture of how God says you are going to author and journal into the lives of the people around you. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul talks a little bit about this whole idea of journaling. Now, he doesn't say it with, with a writing utensil, but he does talk about investing in the lives around us. He talks about treating people as a father and as a mother would treat their children. And it's incredible how he talks about the ways that we're able to invest into the people around us. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm actually going to go jump back to verse 6 because you watch how he develops this whole theme of investing in the people around him. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship as we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to any one of you while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, when you look down through this passage, Paul uses some imagery and some words. He actually talks about that my treatment and my investment in you was kind of like a mom as I was gentle with you. I was kind of like a dad as I did some very important things in your life. And it's interesting because when you look down through this passage, you actually see ways that all of us can positively journal into people's lives. Now, when you don't do these things or when you do these things in an ungodly or a negative way, you actually do the opposite impact. But I want to take a look at those this morning as we talk about how we want to journal into the lives of others that God has brought into our life. Now, the first thing that he uses in this passage is he talks about 
encouragement. Encouragement. Say that with me, would you? Encouragement. That wasn't very effective. That, that, didn't, that didn't encourage me. Help me. Encourage me. Ready? Encouragement. There we go. There we go. Encouragement. It's the power of affirmation. And the image, now in your, in your notes, I came up with a picture, but the more I've studied this, I actually want to use a different one. I said this is, the, this is walking hand in hand. I'm going to change that. This is running alongside of. Now, the reason I come up with that is that the word is actually a very specific word. It's para, which means alongside of, uh, kaluntes, which means to run or come alongside of and encourage. Um, I love it because it actually has a, 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 the, the word for Holy Spirit in, uh, in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 is paraclete. It means one who comes alongside of or one who comforts. But I love this because the image is of one who's running alongside of and is encouraging you. I love that picture. Um, if any of you ever have taught your kids how to uh, ride a bike, there's a couple of different ways you can teach your children how to ride a bike. You can put uh, knee pads on. I would encourage you, long pants, knee pads, long shirt, elbow pads, and a helmet. And then if you have a nice hill, you can just kind of push them, right? And that, that gets them going eventually. They'll, they'll, they'll get tired of falling, right? That's kind of one way of doing it. Um, we taught them a little bit like that, not quite the same. Uh, but the one I think of, in fact, you saw it on the video this morning, as I love that picture, and especially I love the picture of a dad running alongside. Because I remember doing this. You're running alongside of your children, right? And you're, you're coming like this as they're trying to pedal. And what you're they, they don't, you know, they, their feet are going all over the place, and they gotta, they got to figure out how to get their, their feet going, right? So you're going, no, no, pedal, pedal. Keep your feet on the pedal. No, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. No, honey, don't lean over, don't lean over. No. And you're doing, as you're going alongside, and you're just trying everything you can to encourage them to keep going. Or have you ever taught your children how to play uh, baseball or softball and, and probably like even kickball? I remember doing this. My kids didn't know how to run to first base. And you're so excited when by some miracle they actually make contact with the ball. I mean, I often would tell my kids, guys, you're your chances of hitting the ball go up like 100% if you open your eyes. It's amazing, you know. And, and they just swinging and swailing away. And, but how many remember that picture? I love it when I see this, uh, that you're trying to get them to run down the first base and you're running alongside of them. Come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. That's the image. That is actually the image that Paul is talking about. He says there is something about encouragement that comes alongside, that runs alongside and says, you can do it, you can do it. Now, it's interesting how we do this. Um, the first way that I think of that biblically we do this is with our words. Our words have power into the lives of those around us. Um, I'm always amazed. There are words that encourage and there are words that discourage. Um, scripture talks about this, by the way. Um, these are not new verses to you. We look at them often, but Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. And I got to tell you, in recent years, this passage has really spoken to my heart because I am... Um, I am gifted with very quick words. Uh, I have the ability generally 
to come up with a quick reply. Uh, in fact, sometimes when I don't reply immediately to my kids or to my wife, she'll look at me especially and she'll say, you're trying to come up with a good comeback, aren't you? You know, and, and I said, no, no, I'm not, you know, but I really am. I just, it's, it's, I usually, I'm pretty quick. You know the problem with quick words and reckless words? is that oftentimes you can say things that you just never intended. In fact, the intention is not, you didn't necessarily say anything, it's just that the word communicated wrongly. God's really spoken to me over the last number of years about that. Say, hey, don't have reckless words. Be, be a little bit more specific in what you're saying. Slow down long enough for my spirit to actually filter your mouth and your brain. Well, he says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, Proverbs 18, 21 the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat of its fruit. Our words. What are your words doing into the life of those around you? Do your words give life? Do your words tend to bring discouragement and death? Are your words cutting? Are they healing? Wesley, a, a few weeks ago, was uh, cleaning out his room. Um, I think it's because he's graduating, uh, did graduate, he's getting ready for college, so now he's starting to think about transitioning, and he went through his room and was cleaning everything out, and he was going through, Wesley's one of those guys who will keep notes and things like that, and, and so he, but it's interesting, he, and I asked him for permission uh, to share this, but he, he came to me and he said, hey dad, now Wesley is 18, he'll be 19 in October, and <clears throat> when he turns 16, he was kind of where a lot of 16-year-olds are, where he's kind of trying to find his way a little bit. And I wrote him a card that just simply said 16 things that I think are awesome about you. And I wrote 16 things down. And what's interesting is, is I don't remember more than one or two of them. But let me tell you, he remembers them. And he pulled out the card and he said, Dad, do you know the favorite thing that I have from you? is my birthday card when I was 16. The 16 things that I love or think are great about you. Now obviously the Lord put that on my heart to invest in him in that way. But moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and neighbors, it's amazing. In fact, the, it's not just our words. I, I think it has something to do with this idea of our presence in their lives. Just being present. Um, Jim Keller and I were, uh, Jim Keller, if you don't know Jim, Jim is, uh, was our regional superintendent, and this week he's fu he officially has concluded his time as our regional superintendent. Jim Jordan um, actually has taken over as regional superintendent. I lovingly said it's because they didn't want to change the monogram on the towels at the office, and so they had to get another quick words. Uh, but uh, we were together this week and spending some time uh, in a meeting and in the meeting, it was actually, it was, it was quite a long meeting. It was from about 12 until about 5 o'clock. And uh, we were just kind of sitting around the table chatting. And for some reason, he brought up, oh, I know what it was. Uh, the meeting was on Tuesday. And I said, hey, I said, uh, Jim, I don't know if, but this was the day my dad passed away 11 years ago. In fact, yesterday would have been my dad's funeral. It literally was a Saturday, and it was the actual day. And uh, Jim uh, looked around the table. He says, I'll always remember uh, his funeral, uh, Phil's dad's funeral. And um, he was telling the story about how 
for him how unusual the, the, the funeral was because of how full the church was, but because there were so many Amish there, like one half of the church was, was just black and white. I mean, that was just a picture in the church, and he was telling the story. And then I told the story because, and Bob, you were there, and I, and I, I told the story of when I looked up in the balcony and the way that they changed the church and so the balcony was now in the front because they had remodeled the church and there wasn't room on the ground floor and when I looked up there were four guys that were there Pastor Stan was up there Pastor Bob was up there uh, Cliff Burgess was up there and Jim Keller was up there and I always laugh and say it looked like Mount Rushmore <laughs> when I looked up there and uh, but I, I told him, I said, when I looked up there and I saw you guys, I lost it. And the reason I lost it wasn't because I was sad. It was because it was so impactful to me that those guys had driven four hours to come down to this funeral in this little Mennonite church out in the middle of New Paris, Indiana. I put it in your notes, these words. It's no coincidence that the most powerful words of encouragement given by our Heavenly Father to face uncertainty and challenge and difficulty are the words, I will be with you. Those five words embolden us and give us courage. They tell us that whatever we face, we will face it with Him, and His resources are our resources. And so how do we encourage? How do we run alongside of? How do we, how do we come alongside those individuals in our life, well, we speak words of life and we, we have our presence in their life and even our accountability. It's interesting how oftentimes as parents and grandparents, we think that people don't, our kids don't want accountability, but our kids need accountability. Uh, it's interesting in the, in the story of David, when David was coming to the end of his life and was going to transition the kingdom to Solomon, he had another son, Adonijah, who tried to come in and usurp that whole process and become the king. And it's interesting what it says about Adonijah. It says that David, in fact, it says it exactly. It says, King David never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? In other words, dad just let him do whatever he wanted to do. And can I just tell you, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, <laughs> I know us. I remember what I was like. We cannot. I know every young person in here probably would say, just let me do what I want to do. We can't. We can't. God has not called us to just let you do whatever you want to do. And by the way, there's going to be a day when you're standing in the other seat and you're going to totally get that because I hate to say this, as much as we love you and as much as we want you to love us, we were not called to be your best friends. We were called to be your parents. We need that. There'll be a day when we can try to be best friends, but right now, in fact, I just, mom and dad, can I just encourage you a little bit? If your kids have never hated you, you probably haven't parented them. There's probably those moments, right, when they, I hate that person, and, and it happens, it does, but we need that accountability. We need that check. We, we all need it, by the way. I'll just tell you right now, I'm a pastor. I need accountability. Michael, you're, you're, a, you're a board member. I know you need accountability. You told me earlier you wanted to get extra candy bars because you have more children. I, I know. I know that stuff. I told you I was going to call you out. Uh, but we, we need that accountability. We need it to encourage. Number two, the second way that we do it, and I love this picture, it's comforting. It's the arm around. 
it, it actually, it's the same first word, para, but then it says to come alongside and comfort. To come alongside and offer our support to someone. Um, the call came last July. I got a call from Calvin. In fact, we had just had the leadership over to our, our house, and we'd had a fellowship time and a little barbecue. I think it was a Sunday night. And everybody was just starting to leave, and my son Calvin called me. And uh, by the way, ask permission on all these stories today. And uh, Calvin called me, and he said these words, Dad, can you, have a, you have a minute? I said, sure, sure. I, and I walked to the back as everybody else was kind of leaving. I walked to the back where the fire pit's at, and he said these words, and I'm telling you, it struck fear into me. He said, Dad, I need a dad, not a pastor. And I will tell you right now, my first thought was, oh, my God, what did you do? That's what I thought. That was the first thing I thought of. And he began to share with me. He said, Dad, I'm, I want you to know I'm in a good place with the Lord. I want you to know that I'm surrendered, and I want you to know that I'm in a great place with the Lord. And he began to talk to me on how the Lord, he felt like the Lord was transitioning him from his current position and maybe leading a different place. And it wasn't a shock to me. We had talked about it for like six months. But what, what struck me, what struck me is he says, hey, I don't, I don't need advice. I don't need, I don't really need you to be my pastor. I just, I just need you to be my dad. I, th I think I did it. I think I did it well. You try to prepare yourself for that, don't you, parents? You try to prepare yourself for those moments in life where, where you're just simply going to be available, where you're simply going to just be there. Now, now the power of comforting, um, I, 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 there were two parts of that that really struck me, that if we're going to be able to be the arm around to the people in our life and in journal that way, we first of all have to be approachable. And approachability just simply means do they feel safe to come to us? Now, now think about that. If you have an image in your life that you're always got it together, if the neighbors in your life, your brothers, your sisters, whoever it is, isn't it interesting how that when you kind of put on an air of superiority, that kind of diminishes the approachability factor. Um, the, the passage in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2 where it says that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The key phrase there is no shame. It's not about them being naked. It's about the fact that there was no shame in that, that there was this, this absolute vulnerability, and so we want to nurture that. And so how we do that means that we're not going to yell and scream, that we're, that we're going to especially. Can I tell you, I found that especially when the pressure times hit, that's the time to make sure that you're saying, Holy Spirit, give me the right words, and just kind of, just kind of show the no shock and kind of lower it down a little bit. Why? Because it means you're approachable. Um, last week we shared the story of the prodigal child and we talked about the bridges. The bridges that God uses to bring us home. And one of them was the seeds sown and the seed that was sown, I am convinced by that, that father in the story, was the fact that his son knew, now I know it's a story, right? It's a story so it's not an actual event. But what I love about it is I just always put myself in the, in the place of that prodigal son and there was something in his mind that knew that no matter how much he had betrayed his father and no matter how much he had disappointed his father, that he knew he could go back to his father. 
I think I understand families. And can I tell you, families can get loud. Families can get very silent. Some families are physical. I have six older sisters. Believe me. It's amazing. I'm so glad I was young enough to stay out of the fray. When you get six older sisters fighting for one bathroom, you know it's going to get incredible. Some families, very surreal, very just kind of separate. But it's interesting, this whole idea of knowing that when there's a time, you can be approached. It's not just approachability, it's availability. It's the availability that says that when that time comes, I won't be too busy for you. And again, we, we invest that, we sow that, we do that with our workers, we, we, we say that with our words, we, we communicate that with our actions. Um, a lot of you will know, if you've ever met with me, that one of my rules, one of my rules is that my phone is always on my desk when I'm meeting with you, I'll have it. It'll be right next to me. I will completely ignore it unless it happens to be one of my kids or my wife. Family always gets through. Because if family didn't always get through, they would never get through. And so even when a phone call comes, it doesn't happen very often that it's an emergency, but when a phone call comes, I will still take it, and I'll just do it in a low voice usually. Hello? Yeah, Dad, you got a few minutes to talk. Are you busy? I go, well, actually, I'm with somebody right now. Okay, Dad, I'll call you right back. They know the question to ask, right? I mean, they're not, but, but, they, but they know they can always get through. Just availability. We need to encourage, right? We encourage when we encourage, we write. By the way, when we don't encourage, when we discourage, we're writing. When we comfort, we're writing. When we are not offering comfort, we're writing. Number three, urging. It's the word, and I love this word, It's the power of your ongoing influence. The picture of this, I love what the word means. It means a strong charge from behind. This is the voice from behind. This is when you're no longer able to hold on to the bicycle. This is the one where they're now pedaling and you're cheering them from behind as your, as your voice quietly. Now, I got to tell you, when we were teaching our kids how to ride bike, what we would do is we actually had a, a, a decline uh, out of our driveway that went right into the center section of our neighborhood, and that's where the grass, and I'd always let the grass grow a little deeper there because what we do is I always felt like if they kind of fell one way or the other into the grass, it would slow them down, and then if they tipped, it seemed like it was a little bit of cushiony, and so that's kind of how we did that, right? And so we go behind them, but you're just back there just cheering them, just cheering them. And isn't it something, by the way, when they just keep on pedaling? And when they stand there, you go, hey, come back. You know, you're, you come back into the area, but it's that voice from behind. And Paul says there are going to be times that I'm able to run next to you and challenge you and encourage you. And there are times where you need me to come alongside of you and comfort you. And there are times that the only influence I'm going to have in your, vo- in your life is the voice that is coming from behind. Last week I was standing out back talking to one of the men. I've shared a lot of these stories, but I couldn't help but think about it because he was telling me, he was actually talking to me about his, his parents and, and we were just con, uh, comparing notes. And 
And I couldn't help but, because of yesterday being my dad's funeral, I couldn't help but think of what I shared at my dad's funeral. And I shared five lessons that dad taught me in life. And I think I've even shared some of those with you before. In fact, um, I preached that message. Something hit me when my dad was about 65, 66 years old. I thought, why in the world would I wait until my dad's dead to say something about him? So I invited my dad on a Father's Day years ago. I invited all my family to come, and I just taught. It was five or seven. I don't know which it was. But I just taught the lessons that Dad taught me in life. And almost none of them were really uh, more than just simply things he had either modeled to me or in a, in a teachable moment had said to me. Uh, I remember what my dad told me about work. I remember where it was at. It was at a corn crib. We were at a corn crib, and we were scooping corn because we, in that particular crib, we couldn't use the elevator. We just, we just simply scooped it, and when we take feed or if we wanted to, we just hand scooped it, and that's how we were doing it. And I remember my dad saying to me, Phil, there will always be a job for a guy that doesn't care how much he gets paid. I know that doesn't sound profound to you, but it was profound to me, and I've thought about that often. My dad had a philosophy, better to get a half a loaf than no loaf at all. That was his philosophy. It's my philosophy. But I like the salary I'm at, by the way, but uh, just so you know. And... But the one that I probably think of the most and have shared the most is the fact that um, when Grandma and Grandpa, I shared Grandma and Grandpa lived with us, we had Grandma and Grandpa, Mom and Dad, six older sisters. We had 11 of us in a house, one bathroom. No shower. It was a tub. We had an outhouse for emergency situations. That's it. That's, that's kind of what our house was. It was an old farmhouse. To this day, it still has one bathroom. And I remember my grandpa, um, he passed away. He, he, they, my, mom, my mom was adopted when my grandparents were, were pretty old. Um, and so when I came along, my, my grandparents were already pretty old. And so um, my grandfather, if I remember, passed away when I was seven or eight. And I think grandma was still living. So I must have been five years old because my grandma was still alive. And um, I remember my grandfather going into the bathroom. And I remember my dad coming out of the bathroom with a towel. And I remember standing in our dining room, which is right where that was at. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, what were you doing? because I knew he was in there the same time Grandpa was. By the way, this was not my dad's dad. This was my dad's father-in-law. And he said, well, Phil, he said, you know, Grandpa's getting, he's getting very old. And he can't, he can't take care of himself, and he can't get in and out of the tub by himself. So I was helping him take a bath. And then he said this. I remember it like it was yesterday. And Phil, someday I'm going to be old. And I'm going to need you to help give me a bath. And you flash forward 40 years later. I was at Elkhart General Hospital when Dad was fighting his cancer and was so weak he couldn't hardly uh, care for himself. And I remember kneeling with those cloths they give you to give a, a bath. And I remember giving my dad a bath. And I remember thinking how honored I was that I was able to do for my dad what my dad had done for his father-in-law. Dad hadn't mentioned that. He had never mentioned that again for the next 40 years. 
As best as I know, I never mention it again for the next 40 years. But in that moment, it was the voice, the testimony from behind that continues to challenge. The last one actually comes out of what Paul says that may sound like an arrogant statement, but it's not. It's really not an arrogant statement. Um, he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. It's, it's the power of authenticity. It's the power of modeling. Because people are watching us, right? They watch us in crisis. They watch us in victory. They watch us when uh, finances are strong. They watch us when finances are not strong. They watch us when we're getting along. They watch us when we're not getting along. It's the power of authenticity. And it's interesting because Paul uses, um, he, it's the example of our lives. Paul uses the word blameless and it sounds like he's being arrogant. The, the Greek word blameless means this. It means to, to live in a way that gives you the right to speak. Does that make sense? He's, it means to live in such a fashion that it gives you the right to speak about something. And Paul says, my life among you earned the right to speak to you about these things. And when you came in today, you should have gotten a pen. It was for everybody. If you didn't get one, I want you to take that pen because in that pen, it just simply says this. Pick up the pen. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and coworkers and teachers, pick up the pen. Whose heart are you writing into today because every day you are going to write into somebody's life and you will journal and you will journal what they think about you they will journal what they think about God you will journal what they think about themselves you will journal what you understand about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and when you're grumpy you got a pen and when you're not grumpy you got a pen and when you feel like a believer you got a pen and when you don't feel like a believer you got a pen so embrace the pen and distinguish what you are going to write and journal into the lives among you. I want to make sure we stay connected to venue in these next moments because I want, to, I want to pray with you. But as I pray with you, I want to read something over you. And so can I just, can I just have us, can we just bow our heads and can you just listen as I pray for you and venue, listen in as well. A couple of weeks ago, I, I read a blog from Dutch Sheets who is praying um, every day for our, he leads a, a prayer for our nation and for our country. I love what it says in Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of dead dry bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw there were a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Lord, you know alone. 
And then he said to me, prophesy, speak to the bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Heavenly Father, I ask for your help today to put a guard on my lips this year so that I always bless and I do not curse. My words have more weight and power than I realize. And I'm thankful for the prophet's reminder of that. Forgive me for any casual or purposeful, critical, and judgmental words that I have spoken over others. May the blood of Jesus Christ correct this sin and wash away any effects of my words over my life or over the lives of others that I may have harmed. Holy Spirit, hover as I confess life over myself, my home, my family, my pets, my property, my work, my possessions, and my body. Hover as I proclaim life to the congregation that I'm a part of, over my city, over this nation. I want to put feet to my faith and walk or drive around speaking life everywhere I go throughout my day. Lord, thank you that you have entrusted to us these pens to journal into the lives of those that we have influence. Father, I pray that each day, Holy Spirit, that you would prompt me as to how to intentionally, by my very life and my words, communicate to those in my life what you want me to communicate. Forgive me, Lord, when I have... um, been flippant or reckless. I pray that, Father, for my children that hear my words, that it would always be funneled through the lens of the Holy Spirit so that, Lord, they receive what it is that you want them to receive and that, Lord, that they would would be protected from that which is not going to be helpful into their lives. For my wife my spouse, my grandchildren, my church. Lord, you've said that the ways of a righteous man are orchestrated by the Lord. You've also said that if we trust in you, you make our paths straight. Well, Lord, I'm going to ask this. As we trust in you, would you make our pens straight? that we might communicate who you are and lead others into trusting you. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.